0: Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. A man named John Newton penned uh, those words sometime after 1748. Before that, he was actually the captain of a slave trading boat. He was buying and selling people for profit. But in 1748, his boat was caught in a storm, and he cried out to God to save him, and God did save him quite miraculously. And that put him on a journey towards discovering you know, what, the, what the message of God was, what was you know, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. And in March 1748, he put his faith in, uh, in Jesus uh, as Lord and Saviour. He received that amazing grace of Jesus into his life and it transformed his life. This man who was a slave trader for the rest of his life, he spent his time working towards the abolition of slavery. He he trained and he trained and he eventually convinced the Church of England to make him a pastor so that he could preach about the grace of Jesus. His life was so transformed by grace that he couldn't stop talking about Jesus. He couldn't stop serving Jesus in the world that he was in and he wrote the words to that song that have been sung for the last 250 years. That's John Newton's story of grace. You know, when I was 19, I, uh, I discovered how amazing God's grace was. Now, Before that, I, I believed in God. I grew up in a church that actually preached a gospel of grace and demonstrated grace in a whole bunch of uh, great ways. But I, when I was 19, I, I, I thought that God's love for me was dependent on my efforts. And when I was 19, I was uh, convinced to go to a youth version of an Emmaus walk. Who here has been on an Emmaus walk? I went on a, uh, a chrysalis flight, which is what younger people do, and uh, I absolutely hated it. I, uh, I, I discovered that after every talk, they got you into a group of people with people you didn't know, and you had to sit around a table, and you either had to draw a picture together, you had to write a poem together, Or you had to act something out in response to what you've just heard. I've got absolutely zero skills in any of those areas. It was like purgatory for me. But God did a miracle in my life on that weekend. I remember vividly on the Saturday night. It was the first time in my life I ever understood That God loved me and there was nothing that I could do to ever make him love me more. And there was nothing that I was going to do into the future that was going to make him love me less. His love was completely dependent on my faith in what his son had done on the cross. I got grace for the first time in my life. And it transformed my life. From that moment on when I just got amazed by the grace of God, I just wanted to tell other people about Jesus and I've been telling other people about Jesus for the last 26 years. That's my story of grace. You know, Saul was a devoutly religious man He was a man who'd who'd followed the law of God better than anyone else of his time and knew it better than anyone else of his time. He was devoutly religious, but he hated the church. He he hated Jesus and he hated his message. On on the road to Damascus as he was going to continue to stop the spread of the message of Jesus, stop the spread of, of, of the gospel, he met the risen Jesus. And he discovered the grace of God and it transformed his life. When he got how amazing God's grace is, he went from being the man who, who hated Jesus, hated the church, hated the message of the church to, to loving Jesus, loving the church and, and sharing the message of Jesus more than any other man other than Jesus that ever lived. He was transformed by the grace of God. You know, this is his story of uh, grace. In Galatians 1, it says, When God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, among those who thought they were excluded from the love of God. That's Paul's. Story of grace. He was so transformed that his name was changed from Saul to Paul. He couldn't stop for the rest of his life talking about Jesus and people have been reciting his words for the last 2,000 years and has transformed lives of people in nations all over the world, including ours. You know, one of the places that Paul went to the Gentiles to people like you and me, to, to share the good news of grace, to share the message of grace, was a region called Galatia. And the people that were there, many of them received this, this message of good news that Jesus Christ had come from heaven to earth. He was the son of God. He'd done many miracles to prove who he was. And he died on a cross to actually take the punishment for all of our sins. What once separated us from God was actually put onto his shoulders and he took the penalty, he took the punishment for our sins. But uh, on the third day, he actually read rose from the dead and he gave us, you know, power over sin to, to live a new life. You know, that, that message, as, as people heard it, they received it with joy. They discovered that God was for them, that God's grace meant that he had good in his heart for them and he wanted them in relationship with him. Many of them had received that gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but over time, others had come into the church and Paul calls these others agitators. They were troublemakers. They were troublemakers in the church and they were saying, yes, Jesus is essential. Yes, you know, we need to, uh, we need to put our faith in Jesus. But there's some other things that you have to add to the gospel if you really want to be right with God. It's not just about Jesus. There's some things that you've got to add. And Paul writes this letter to these churches in Galatia. It's called the book of of Galatians to correct that misunderstanding. Galatians chapter 1, if you turn uh, with me, it says, Paul, an apostle sent from men, not by a man, but by Jesus Christ. Sorry, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me. You know, Paul's making some things really clear here. Firstly, he's making it clear that he's an apostle sent from God. You see, the agitators are saying, who's this Paul guy? How's he got the right to to tell us what the message of God is? Why are you listening to him. And Paul says, well, with good reason. He says, I'm an apostle. Now, the apostles were, were the 12 who Jesus you know, called into uh, uh, his team. They were his disciples who witnessed his resurrection. But Paul says, I too am an apostle because I'm a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I saw him. I saw the risen Jesus. And I heard his voice, and he called me to be a light to the Gentiles. He says, that's why what I've got to say has some weight. I've not been given authority to teach by any ordinary man. I've not been sent by a group of people. I've actually been given authority from the Son of God because I saw him in his risen form, and it's him who sent me. You know, when I was writing... My, my book, I, I looked for some people to endorse it for me. And I got a bunch of uh, uh, footballers and cricketers and leaders in business and in health who would put their name at the beginning and at the end so that people who had no idea who I am and may not have had any interest in Jesus in the past might actually be willing to pick up a book that's got Jesus written on the front and read it because, you know, their endorsement adds some weight, their names add some weight, and Jesus, uh, Paul is, saying, hey people, this is my endorsement. I have been set apart by Jesus and I've been sent by Jesus and his father who raised him from the dead. So have a listen to this message because it's really, really important. He goes on to make another thing really clear and that is what this message is to the churches in Galatia. He says, grace And peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. He wants to make it clear. You know, the simplicity of the gospel. That Jesus actually gave himself, he sacrificed himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Notice it doesn't say to rescue us from the world. You know, sometimes we think the gospel is, is, you know, put your faith in Jesus now while you're in the world and just kind of hang on. And just hang on until you die, and then when you die, you kind of you get rescued from hell, which is true, and, and you get rescued from the pressures of this world, which is true, and, and you get to spend eternity in heaven. Now there's some truth to that, but it's not the whole truth. You see, we're not rescued when we put our faith in Jesus immediately out of this world and nor are we just hanging on until we die and go to heaven. He says we are rescued by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross from this present evil age. In Jewish thinking, there was this present age, which is an age where sin is at work in the world and families and lives and communities are getting damaged by sin and the work that the devil plays in the world. And there is an age to come when all things are made new, when all things are made right again as God originally designed them. And what Paul is saying here and what the message of the gospel is that although we're still in the world and we have a really important role to play in the world, we're called to be salt and light in the world. We're not just hanging on until we get to heaven. We've got an important job uh, to do now but we have been rescued from the power of sin that's at work in the world today. And so there's this reality that although there is still sin you know, all around us through what Jesus has done on the cross for us, He's rescued us from the penalty of sin so that what once separated us from God is gone and we can be in relationship with God for all of eternity. But He's also rescued us from the power of sin, which is still at work, in the world around us today. And so the, 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 the understanding is that these two ages, through the work of Jesus' finished work on the cross, these two ages run in parallel together. We're still in the world, but we're not of the world We've been set free from the power by the power of Jesus to not live a life dominated by sin and selfishness anymore, but dominated and ruled by God through the power of his holy spirit. You see the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died on a cross to rescue us from the penalty of our sin for all of eternity and to rescue us from the power of sin which was once dominating our lives from today and for all of eternity, so that we can be salt and light in the world and help people see who Jesus is. He says, Grace and peace to you from the God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present age. Notice those first two words. Grace and peace. It's the basis and the consequence of Jesus' saving work on the cross. It is purely by grace. We've done nothing to deserve Jesus coming to earth to die for our sins. It's just grace. We couldn't earn it. We can't deserve it. He just came and did it. That is the basis of what Jesus has done for us. And peace is the consequence. You see, when you get grace, when you receive grace, you're at peace. You're at peace in your relationship with God, where because of your sin, you were once an enemy of God. You were once under the wrath of God. When you receive his grace through what Jesus has done for you on the cross, you are now at peace with God. And it's a holistic peace. It's a shalom peace. You're at peace with God, and you're also at peace with the community around you. And so you're at peace with the one who you have sinned against, but you're also at peace with the people around around you who may have sinned against you. That's the consequence of of getting grace. When when you really understand how amazing God's grace to us is through Jesus, you are at peace with God and you're at peace with the people around you. I want to ask you this morning, are you at peace? Are you at peace this morning with God? Are Are you at peace... With your family even if they may have sinned against you are you at peace with those who have hurt you you see peace is kind of a little test but if we're living at peace maybe we've got grace we get how amazing it is and if we're not at peace maybe we haven't quite yet got how amazing god's grace is you see, the agitators believe that Jesus died to forgive our sins, but they also believe that you needed to add some things to the gospel to be right with God. And the agitators are stirring up trouble by saying, you know, don't listen. Don't, don't listen to Paul's message. Don't listen to Paul's message of, of faith in Christ alone, of salvation through faith in Christ alone. And Paul hears about this, he continues to write, verse 6, he says, I'm astonished, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you've accepted, let them be under God's curse. Let me just go through that really quickly. Verse 6. If you add something to grace, it's no longer the gospel. Because it's no longer good news. Verse 7. If you add something to grace, it's confusing for people. You're throwing people into confusion. They're not sure whether they've done enough. They're not sure whether they're saved. Don't confuse people. Verse 7, it goes on to say, if you add something to grace, you're a pervert. You're perverting the gospel. In fact, if you actually look at, at, at the Greek word, it's actually even a bit stronger than perverting. It's really reversing. It's undoing. It's saying you're actually reversing the good news of the gospel. You're undoing the, the message of grace. When you add something to grace and finally says, if you add something to grace, you're under a curse. You're saying this is really important that we get this right. This message that needs to go throughout the churches for, for, for until Jesus comes again, we've got to get this Right? And Paul is making it really clear. When you add to grace, you destroy the gospel. When you add to grace, you destroy the gospel. You know, when I was at school, I enjoyed four subjects. Sport, PE, lunch, and little lunch. they were pretty much the only four subjects I really enjoyed uh, in that order. But some subjects were better than others and I got better grades in some than others. I mean, English, I always got bad grades until year 11. You know, the problem with English is, and polo- no, I'm not apologising. If you're an English teacher here, you need to hear this. You know, the problem, the problem with English is it's subjective. I mean, if the teacher likes you, you get a good mark. If the teacher doesn't like you, they don't like your words, you get a bad mark. There's kind of no right or wrong that you can point to and say their words are better you know, than mine. It's completely subjective. I got bad grades in English all the way up to year 11 because apparently the teachers never liked me. And, but in year 11, my English teacher moved into my street. And at that point, I was still too young to have my license and I was sick of riding my bike to school. And so I decided to be nice to this English teacher. And she decided to pick me up in her car at my letterbox every morning and drive me to school. And then I'd wait for her in the teacher's car park and she would drive me home from school every afternoon. It was a sweet deal as long as I kept being nice to the English teacher. Just probably another point, if you are a female English teacher in 2018, don't pick up your male students on the way home from school. But back then it was okay. And uh, all of a sudden, I started getting good marks in English. I was nice to the teacher, she liked me, and I got my first good grades in English. Subjective. Depends on whether the teacher likes you or not. Tech drawing was even worse. I don't I have no idea why I decided to do tech drawing. I can't draw a jolly thing. But some of my mates were doing it and the teacher hated me and my mates with good reason. I mean, we were annoying. I mean, if I was him, I wouldn't have just given us bad grades. That would have punched us in the head. I mean, we were, we were that annoying. Anyway, every drawing me and my mates handed in, we either got 60 or 65%. No explanation, just a little red mark down the bottom. Sandra, who sat in the front row, and who was nice to the teacher, and the teacher liked her every single drawing, 95 or 100. We were convinced that her drawings weren't 30 to 40% better than ours. So we did a little experiment halfway through the year. We encouraged Sandra to hand her drawing in a day early. We said the teacher would like it, and she agreed. And uh, she got it back, 95%. When she wasn't watching... We cut the bottom off her drawing, just, just, the, just the bottom two centimetres. And, uh, and it was the only place it was marked. We redrew the margin with my name on it and handed the same drawing, just with a different name, back into the same teacher. A day later, Sandra got 95, Jason Ellsmore, 75. Best grade I got in tech drawing all year, but it was still 20% less because it had a different name on it. You know, completely subjective. I didn't really enjoy mass all that much. But what I loved about mass is it's objective. If you're right, it doesn't matter whether the teacher likes you or not, you got it right. I mean, just have a look at this. One plus one always equals... Oh, let me say that again. One plus one always equals... Doesn't matter whether the teacher likes you or not, that's right. You get the right answer. If you've got a triangle with a right angle and that side is three and that side is four, that side is always five. Doesn't matter if the teacher likes you, it's always true. If you've got a circle and the radius is five meters, you know every single time, if you want to work out the area of that circle, it is pi. Squared, which, if you're not as quick as me, is 78.5 square meters approximately, just off the top of my head. And (laughs) it's always true, there's a right answer. Now, I gotta be careful here because the gospel of Jesus Christ is much better than Mass, much, much better. But there are some similarities that I really want us to get as we read this letter together. Firstly, God is not a preferential teacher who treats people differently according to their behaviour. God is not preferential towards people. God is gracious towards all people. It doesn't matter how well or poorly you've behaved. He only has grace in His heart towards you. And secondly, the Gospel is not subjective the gospel is objective. There is a way you can know with absolute certainty. There's an equation that is true that you can know with absolute certainty that you are right with God. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, what you've done. It's always going to make you right with God. Now, once again, another little warning. The gospel is not transactional. It is relational. But there is a way for you to have absolute certainty confidence that you're right with god now the equation that the agitators were coming up with were this they said jesus has got to be part of the equation we know that we've 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 seen what he's done we've we've heard about his death and and resurrection but it's not enough there's a plus. It's not enough just to have faith in Jesus. There's some other things that you need to add to the equation if you're going to be right with God. And what the agitators were saying is that actually the equation is Jesus plus right religion. Jesus plus the Judaism. Jesus plus the Mosaic law and adherence to that law is what makes you right with God. They're saying that's the equation. Yes, you need Jesus, but you've got to also add the right religion and the right religion is uh, Judaism and you've got to follow the law of Moses if you really want to be right with God. And this was starting to confuse many people who didn't really know in the Gentile world what the Old Testament law was. And I have to say, it's not good news for us either. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've eaten bacon three times in the last seven days. It's delicious stuff. But it's not part of following the law. And even if you're a vegan here, and I'll pray for you later if you are, because... Bacon is delicious. Uh, But even if you're a vegan here and you haven't eaten a ham sandwich lately, there is not one person in this room who's got a holy haircut according to Old Testament law. There is a certain way you have to cut your hair if you're going to be part of this religion. And I can't see one person in this room who's doing it right. So this is not good news for any of us. This is no longer Good news is no longer the gospel. We're we're now confused and and about what we've got to do to be right with God. And this is what Paul is jumping up and down about. He's using some really strong words. He says, uh, he says in, in chapter two, he says, "Do not set aside the grace of God. If righteousness could be gained through the law, through the right religion, then Jesus died for nothing." You actually don't need him in the equation. Paul's saying all you've got to do is follow the law. The problem is for the last hundreds of years, they couldn't. They, they never measured up. And Paul was probably someone who came as close as anybody, but never measured up. This morning... I need us to get our heads around again. See, many of us here, I reckon we actually started by, under, by started our relationship with God through faith in Jesus and receiving grace. But sometimes over time, like the church in Galatia, we start to add some stuff. We've got to start behaving in the right way if we're really going to be right with God. You see, grace seems too good to be true. It seems too amazing. That's why John Newton wrote the words, This is amazing grace. It seems too good to be true that simply by faith in Jesus we can be right with God. You see, Jesus didn't come to institute a new religion. He actually came to make a way for us to live a new life by the power of God's Spirit living within us. He he came to invite us into a new relationship with the Father. It was never to be a new religion. You see, religions say you've got to do X, Y and Z in the equation to, to make yourself acceptable to God. Jesus says, I've done it all for you. I've actually come into this world. There's no other religion in the world that can claim that God himself actually came to earth to do all the work for us. It is grace that sets apart Jesus from every other religion in the world. Paul's saying, it's not part of the equation, people. The agitators were also saying, you've got to follow the right rituals. Essentially, they were saying you've got to be circumcised, which was in Old Testament law, it was the sign for, for the people of Israel that they belonged to God's community. And, and the agitators are coming in and saying, you still got to do that. You, you, you still got to, there's still something that, that you've got to do as, as an, an external sacrifice to prove that you're really part of God's community. And this is what Paul says. Galatians chapter 5. says, You are trying to be justified by the law. You've been alienated from Christ and you've completely fallen away from grace. Listen to this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. He's saying, this ritual of circumcision, it adds no value to the equation, nor does uncircumcision, nor does any other ritual you can think to add. The only thing that has any value in this equation is faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. I I just want to, and most of us here aren't arguing about whether we should be circumcised or not, but, but I wonder whether for some of us our faith in Christ has actually not be is is no longer just an expression of love it's actually become a ritual it's just become a ritual that you go through now rituals aren't bad necessarily jesus had a ritual of going to church every week it's a ritual i'd like you to follow i'd like you to follow it and actually turn up on time every week I'd like you to turn up every week on time with a tithe. Less laughs. Um, You see, rituals aren't necessarily bad things. But rituals are things that help us grow in God. Help us, you know, help us grow in our love of God and love of one another, like going to church. But it's not what makes us right with God. And if your faith has actually moved from a relationship of love with Jesus to a ritual, then you've missed something of the amazing grace of God. Essentially, what the agitators were saying is that Jesus plus the right race is what makes you right with God. And even if you're a Gentile, you're not a Jew by birth, you've really got to become a Jew part of that race by practice because that's the promise that God made to people. He made it to Abraham and then he reinstated it with Moses. That's the the promise of God. So you've really got to become part of the right race. Yes, you've got to have faith in Jesus, but you've really got to start to live like a Jew and then you'll be right With God. Listen to what Paul says. Somehow we've got to tattoo this somewhere so we remember it. Because as I see lots of churches today and lots of thinking in the church today that uh, just completely the practice is against what this says. It says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. You're part of the same promise, and you are heirs according to that promise promise because Jesus was the fulfilment of the promise given to Abraham given to Moses Jesus was the one who has come to be a blessing to all nations. He was the one who came to fulfil the law for us through faith in Jesus. We become inheritors, we become heirs of the promise that was given to the Jewish race, to the Jewish people We're all in the same boat. See, sometimes a preoccupation, you know, with our racial heritage can rob us of the experience of grace. Can I just encourage you, whether you've grown up in the church or not, God feels the same way about you. Whether you've grown up in Australia or not, God feels the same way about you. Whether you've grown up rich or poor, God feels the same way about you. Whether you've grown up male or female, God feels the same way about you. You see, this is not part of the equation. You see, Jesus, and and let me just add before I move on, there is no place for racism in the church. This must be the place above all other places. We must be the people set apart from all other peoples that have no hint of racism amongst us. Because what race you're a part of does not add any value to this equation, nor does it diminish any value from this equation. We are all in the same boat. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We all need the same Saviour. And it's only Him that can make you right with God. It's only Him And what he's done on the cross that is enough for us to be made right with God. I've got good news for you, the people. Jesus is enough for South Africans. Jesus is enough for Kiwis. You know, Jesus, say an amen if you actually might have that heritage. Jesus is enough for Kiwis. Kiwis. Jesus is enough for those, you know, born in Asia. Jesus is enough for those born in Europe. Jesus is enough for those born in this nation. Jesus is enough for black people, for white people, for skinny people, for poor people, for rich people, for people who are currently trapped in slavery and for those who are free. Jesus is enough. Can I hear an amen for that? That's the gospel of grace. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is all you need. The only human response is repentance. First time the gospel is preached, they ask Peter, what must we do to be saved? And he says, repent. Turn from thinking it's all about you. Turn from living your own way. And turn to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Be baptized into Jesus. That is true for anybody. For anybody who turns from doing life their own way to putting their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior is made right with God. It's a good equation. And it works the same For absolutely everyone. When you add something to grace, you're robbing yourself of intimacy that God designed for you. When you add something to grace, you're robbing others of seeing and hearing the good news. You're confusing people about what this message is. And when you add something to grace, you're robbing Jesus of his glory. You see, the cross is enough. His grace is sufficient. Jesus is all you need. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. You know, Jesus is the pearl of great price. There is no other name which can be saved. We've sung about it this morning. His name is great. His love conquers all. The cross is enough. His grace is sufficient. When we add anything of our own human endeavour to the gospel, we rob Jesus of His glory. And Jesus is the darling of heaven. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the one who is seated on high. Jesus has all power and all authority. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords. We cannot try to rob him of his glory. I wonder this morning, are you still amazed at the grace of Jesus? It turns out that my experience as a 19-year-old is not that unusual. The experience of the church in, in Galatians, is not that unusual. You know, Paul had to write other letters to other churches saying pretty much the same thing. And in this series, we're going to journey through the book of Galatians to be amazed at the grace of God all over again. I, I want to encourage you to grab one of our booklets and there's space in there for you to write your story of grace. There's space in you there for you to draw your story of grace, to write a poem, write a song, just to respond in worship in whatever way comes naturally to you. I reckon God's going to bring out a whole bunch of creative stories. We're going to have someone come and draw for us something of the gospel next Sunday. I want to encourage you as you go to your life groups to just reflect on how amazing the grace of Jesus has been in your life, how it's transformed your life. We've got a blank canvas out in the foyer where you can go after the service and you can just write your story of amazing grace. Encourage others around this room. But don't leave it on that wall there. Take that story out into the world that where you're called to be salt and light. Share your story of grace so that others' lives can be transformed. My prayer for this series is that those of us who are believers already will be amazed again at the grace given to us in Jesus. Those who haven't yet come to put their faith in Jesus will discover grace for the very first time. And all of us will be set free from legalism to enjoy the grace of God every day. You see, when you add anything to the grace of Jesus, you subtract from your experience of grace my prayer this morning is that we might be reminded again and amazed again at the grace that's been given to us in Jesus, let me pray Father thank you thank you for the simplicity of the gospel that as we repent and turn to Jesus and put our faith in him we are made righteous we are made right with you thank you that we can know with confidence it's true God this morning right across this room I pray you'd put a confidence in our hearts and God you'd fill our hearts with worship we just long to give you glory for all that you've done in our lives hey just while we stay in prayer for a moment I want to give you an opportunity this morning if you're here and, and maybe Maybe you've dabbled in religion or rituals, but today you're saying, I want a relationship with God. I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ and what He's done for me on the cross. I want Him to be my Savior and my Lord. I want him to transform my life by his grace. I'd love to lead you in a prayer. If that's you this morning and you'd like to put your faith, you'd like to make that decision this morning to put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, can I get you right now just to raise your hand wherever you are? Just say, that's me. Just, just stick your hand up. I'd like to pray a prayer with you. If that's you this morning. Who's here this morning and say, today's my day. It's my day to receive grace. Bless you. Up the back, who else this morning? Come on, there's others of you here this morning. It's time to move from religion to relationship. Who else this morning and say, that's, that's my prayer. That's what I want Jesus to do in me today. Anyone else here this morning? Just stick your hand up just for a second so I can see it. Bless you. That's cool. Hey, would you pray with me if that's you this morning? Father God, thank you thank you that you sent your son Jesus to earth to die for me. I'm sorry for the way that i sinned against you. I ask that you would forgive my sins. I put my faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. I choose to live in your grace every day from this day forward. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, why don't you put your hands together for those guys? Just encourage them this morning. Hey, one of our section leaders would love to just uh, touch base with you this morning, just give you something to help you get started as you uh, as you follow Jesus this morning. But why don't we all stand together and we're going to just declare together, declare together in Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone, I am made right with God. And I've got hope today and for now and for all eternity. Come on, just worship him this morning. Lift him up in this place. Give him the glory that he deserves. Come on, just be reminded of how amazing his grace is towards you. So lift him up in this place. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.